0: The following program is made possible by the friends and partners of Creation Today. I still remember sitting on my living room couch with my son, Jordan, watching one of our favorite cartoons, Dinosaur Train. This particular episode was a little bit different though. They were introducing the idea of dinosaurs having feathers. And this brought up a very interesting conversation between my son, Jordan, and I. Well, not long ago, I was also reading a Biologos writer, Ryan, and I don't know how to say his last name, B-E-B-E-J, just so I don't butcher it. And he said, as he sat watching a crane in the water and it struck into the water and grabbed a fish, he said, all of a sudden I was struck by the resounding fact that I wasn't out here watching birds, I was watching dinosaurs. So. What's up with the whole dinosaur to bird evolution? Could that really have happened? Is that even possible? It's certainly something that's being pushed from an evolutionary perspective to try to bring everybody on the same page to say, hey, everything evolved slowly over time. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Hey, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, a little shout out to you guys. Appreciate you guys being on here. And to our podcast and television audience, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, You're going to love today's conversation. And as a reminder, you are just one step away from partnering with what we do to spread the truth around the world and turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones for people, one life at a time. We truly would be delighted to see you or your family or your business partner with creation today. And when you do that, you get full access to our conversations past, present and future. So come on over to creationtodayorg partner and feel free to join with us for whatever you'd like um, partners. Thank you guys for being on here for today's conversation. As always, it is great to have guests that we can talk to uh, our guest today is somebody you're gonna love you're gonna you're gonna fall in love with her very very quickly she earned her PhD in geology and paleontology from the Federal University of and I forget how to say the name I'm gonna ask her here in just a second but it was in Bra- Brazil South America and she was working in conjunction with the University of Kentucky. She serves uh, in the research department at Answers in Genesis, and if you watch Answers News, you'll get to see her uh, on Answers News as well from time to time. And she's studied extensively the supposed dinosaur to bird evolution. And in her latest article about the dinosaur to bird evolution, she How do I describe this to you? Um, Well, You know how the farmers back in the day would kill chickens by stretching the neck over the little log and whoops. That's what she does to the supposed dinosaur to bird evolution. You're going to love her. She's here joining me to talk about it. Dr. Gabriella Haynes. Dr. Haynes, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you very much, Eric, for your invitation. I'm very pleased and very happy to be here with you.
0: So the state in Brazil that you got your uh, your degree from the University of, Ceará. Ceará, that's it. I, I sorry, I never took Spanish or Portuguese or anything like that growing up. So Ceará, uh, and you actually got it in in paleontology and geology, right?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, my undergrad it's in biology, and then my grad school it's geology, paleontology. Yeah, that's what I study for uh 7 7 years.
0: Mm-hmm. What well, what made you want to jump into biology, geology, paleontology?
1: Well, I I love this question because then I can I have a chance to share something about my personal life. So I was raised Christian and when I went to school, uh I was 17 when I went to college to study biology. I got bombarded with so much of evolution. Then uh in the beginning I was all strong and firm in my faith. And then I just started walking away from God because I just didn't have any answer. Um, I was just thinking, well, if everything that I have learned from church, you know, raising, being raised as a Christian is wrong, so and they're the ones saying the right thing, I have to just walk away. So I stopped um, going to church and hanging out with my Christian friends and stopped reading the Bible. And uh, I was walking around and I was at the time the president of the biology students, and then someone came and say, hey, a creation scientist is coming. Uh, can't you help us to find a, a place for him to talk and everything? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. And then I kind of helped him to get a place. And um, he went to the place, the, the scientist, and my friend actually said, hey, why don't you come to watch his presentation? I said, uh, yeah, I'll see if I will see if I can make it. But in my mind, I was like, what in the world? A Christian is gonna talk <laughs> about science, you know? And, uh, but I went there that evening and I heard him talking and God used him to open my eyes. And I remember that that evening, uh, talking to God and say, God, forgive me for my sins and for what I have done. I want to go back to you and I want to do whatever it's necessary. Uh, if you want me to get my master's, my PhD, because I wanted to do, I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to do to others what he did to me. And it's very interesting. God. God heard my prayer. You know, it was a very sincere prayer. And I finished biology and then got open doors for paleontology. And yeah, so I got my PhD and here I am, answers in Genesis. And one thing that was interesting that man, the scientist man, he was the first one that actually mentioned answers in Genesis. At the time, they didn't even have the Creation Museum. Um, so I remember I had like a little notebook thing that I was always with me and I wrote it answers in Genesis.org. And of course, at the time you had like the the internet that you had to wait until like midnight to um access. Yeah, I'm a little bit old. And uh <laughs> I just check all the 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 material from answers in Genesis and I start studying and and reading and getting answers. And before I was very afraid of Uh, talking to anyone that even asked me about my faith. And then later when I start getting answers, I was just like looking around and walking around and it's like, hey, are you an atheist? Do you want to talk to me? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Yeah, I was kind of the annoying person like that in school because now I had answers. So I was excited to share. I was not afraid anymore. So it was really good uh, for me. And then they didn't have the creation museum at the time. So after two years and a half. They had the museum. I saved money and I came here for the first time to the United States to volunteer for the Creation Museum. I was the first Brazilian to volunteer here for the Creation Museum. So that's the story. And I mean, I wanted to do something in that was related to Bible and science and geology and paleontology. got opened the doors for me and it was just like the perfect uh, fit. Uh, for what I wanted to do, you know, when I understand that God has called me to do this.
0: What a cool story. And yeah, it seems like God literally directed you there. I mm-hmm. want to jump into the dino bird evolution, but because of your story, I got to ask, do you remember some of the things in biology that started to put the chinks in your armor and the chinks in your faith and made you start to doubt? Do you remember some of those things that they were teaching that would have made you kind of go, oh, well, if that's true, then this can't be true and, and made you question the Bible?
1: Yeah, well, uh, the the first thing is when we go to uh, sometimes Sunday school, you know, and we're learning about the the stories of the Bible. So it's just like that kind of little, the kind of boat, funny boat with the, the the animals here and there playing and doing those kind of stuff. And then when you go to university, when you go to college to study, you're just like, well, it doesn't really make sense because I mean that kind of animals. The, that, that type of boat, Noah's Ark, wouldn't fit all those animals, the animals that right. we have here, because I was studying biology, taxonomy, so many animals. And I was like, it's, in, it's impossible, you know, for those things to come to, to life. And then you, you start talking about Lucy and they show all those pictures with Lucy, which it's an interpretation, which is funny enough, I use them in my presentation when I am uh here speaking at the museum because those were some of the things that kind of struck me down I was like oh uh you know I'm, I might be wrong about it and I think all the pressure too uh of you being different uh thinking different of course you 17 18 you kind of wanted to be woo, embraced by others yes. and you wanna you know so I think all of those stuff um started really making sense of me and I mean I was the one that didn't have the answers, you know, that was, that was my part too, because of course I was not studying enough. I was not looking for answers. I was not having, but funny and sad at the same time. Um, my questions, I started having questions when I was around nine or 10 years old, but it was only when I was 17, 18 and 19, of course, because I was a little bit kind of you start getting distance from your family, you know, not a lot of influence. You spend a lot of time in college hanging out with uh, your classmates and those kind of stuff that you start just like, oh, I don't want this for me. You know, um, but, the, but the questions early on when I was nine or 10 years old, I was already questioning a lot of things about the Bible and science and and, and all those kind of stuff.
0: I know for my son and I, watching things like Dinosaur Train, it was a constant thing with Jordan and I to sit there and we're watching and they'd make some statement and Jordan would be like, Dad, is that part true? And we would sit there and we'd distinguish between the truth and the untruth because they do such a good job of just mixing those things together and making it seem like it's all truth. And I had to teach him how to separate the the interpretation or the theories from, here's the actual facts of what we see. And so that was always a, a great time for us, but you're right, it's kids at a young age. See, there's a difference between in the beginning God and God created the animals after their kind with the evolution review, which says, no, the animals evolved from one species to another species all the way up. So there's definitely a distinction there. Um, okay, so the evolution review has been pushing for quite a while. And I still remember, you know, what it was It 20 years ago when we first started seeing these Feathered fossils come out. They really started pushing the dinosaur-to-bird evolution paradigm, and of course, they did that back with Archaeopteryx years ago. This is something you've studied. Can you take us through? Because for some people in colleges, this is what this is one of those things that tripped you up. This is one of the things that trips them up and makes them go, "Well, yeah, dinosaurs turned into birds. I mean, we've got the fossil record. We've got fossils of dinosaurs with feathers on them." Can Can you take us back to where this came about and walk us through this whole dinosaur to bird evolution and tell us if it's true or not? Okay.
1: Well, in research, one thing that I have learned is go back to the past. Go back to the past and try to understand the history, how those things came to be, how they... uh, why they start thinking about those kind of stuff. you know? And when you go back, about any field, anything, you go back and you try to understand how they came up with those ideas, uh, when did it start, you start thinking things more, um, let's say, just clearer. You, You start seeing things the way they are, that sometimes after, let's say, 20, 30, or 100 years, when people are reading about, they're just reading what is in front of them. They're not reading the backstory. They're not reading the influences that that Man. definition or that story had. Or the person is not reading um, what happened. Just reading the consequence of what was done. So uh, when I start studying the whole thing with dinosaurs and, uh, and, and feathers, I... I just start like okay so what's what's going on here so i went back to the to the history and i was just t- trying to see that for example uh and thomas huxley yeah, which was a very huge supporter of charles darwin um, yeah
0: darwin's bulldog was his nickname yes, yeah
1: yeah that was his nickname yeah he he was the one that actually he was the first one to propose this idea of uh Dinosaurs, relationship between dinosaurs and birds, Um, because when they found Archaeopteryx two years after um, the the book that Charles Darwin had written, um, he was like, hey, so we found the thing because the challenge between uh, trying to see this transitional animal, it was right there. And they couldn't they couldn't really respond to it. So when they found Archaeopteryx with some characteristic that at the time they thought it was more like a dinosaur thing, but they had feathers, they're like, hey, yay! So we found the thing that we needed to just show everybody, hey, you don't need to challenge the idea of Darwin anymore. We now have Archaeopteryx. So they found it, and Thomas Huxley he was the first one to propose this relationship, and then. Uh, of course, they kept talking and talking and talking, but after around a hundred years, over a hundred years, when Ostrom, John Ostrom, he found uh, which he saw some similarities with Archaeopteryx, and then he went back to Thomas Huxley and then said, hey, he was right. So now I found Deinonychus, let's put everything together, and then some. from then on they just start just like ramping out this idea of the relationship between birds and dinosaurs. So you go back to around 1861 and then now Austrum 1969 uh, with this idea, proposing and, and supporting the whole idea. The point is, when you go back to Thomas Huxley, you see that the reason why they were pushing the idea of archaeopteryx being the thing the icon for evolution it's because they needed something to prove their point nice. it's not because um it actually had something solid to put together because when you go into to study archaeopteryx the little details of archaeopteryx i mean it has so many things of a bird like the feather itself um it's just something that it has been the key to um, determine if something is a bird or not. Uh, but that's the point. So let's go back to the history. They wanted something to prove that Darwin was right. They got Archaeopteryx. And then after around 100 years, over 100 years, they found that and cousin said, OK, that's great. We Let's put everything together and try to keep pushing this idea. So it started in 18, 1861, uh, around that. 1859 uh, and it has been pushed since then and why the reason why it's because they wanted something to prove their point
0: so they started with an evolutionary assumption hey yes. we we know evolution happened now we need to find the evidence right. then when they find this they automatically assume they put it in as the evidence but it's because they already had the assumption that this is what that they would find something like this instead of examining the evidence almost independently and saying is this something that's a transitional form yeah.
1: which is something that happens a lot um we all have assumptions the problem is not having assumptions it's having the wrong assumptions that's that's the problem and they had the wrong assumptions because they started without god you know they started <laughs> just thinking evolution is true let's try to prove it and we found something hey so let's now put our assumptions and try to fit in the evidence and that's how they start doing things which isn't very interesting because uh uh one of the guy when he he went to see uh the uh the the fossil he was like well it looks like uh it looks like a bird uh but it has something that is just different you know and others just like well some of them actually said that it was a, a pterosaur so, I mean, they were all all over the, the world with their ideas because it was something new for them. But then after finding other fossils, we can see that Archaeopteryx has a lot of um, similarities with other birds, extinct birds. So it's not a problem at all. And some of the characteristics that, for example, Archaeopteryx has, um, other birds have, they're not just for dinosaurs so for example the claws we have claws um in around nine orders of birds so it's not something that just for dinosaurs teeth we have extinct birds that has teeth also and some birds actually extend birds like living birds they don't have ber- they don't have teeth when they're adults but they have teeth um genetically speaking they already have the gene there it's just not showing but they have the gene so the point is um you know th- those are not characteristics of features for dinosaurs the same thing happens to uh some of the claws adults sometimes doesn't have claws but when they're little well, they have the gene those things like that happen a lot so we i think the whole point is we have to be very careful uh when we are studying the fo- the material the fossil material we have to understand we need to understand that there are assumptions being applied on those definitions then we have to take those on account because if we don't take those in account we're just going to be a uh, copy and paste what they think and what i think i'm not doing anything new i'm just using the same assumptions they're using and applying in the fossil that i'm finding and that's the big problem
0: so when it comes to archaeopteryx specifically that and that is a big one that they use to push the transitional form like you're saying <laughs> the, to dinosaur to bird would would as creationists would we say hold it hold it hold it? Archaeopteryx is in the bird kind. It's not in the dinosaur kind. It's not related to a reptile. There are birds that have these. The, I, I know the claws, the teeth, um, the um, uh, obviously feathers, and these certain characteristics. These are these would definitely push it over to the bird kind uh, in the family of birds. Is that where we would be as creationists?
1: Ah. Uh- The point is today we even like an evolutionary um, camp, you know, uh, depending on the characteristic that you're looking at, you're going to be you can put Archaeopteryx in either side. Right, because the system now I can pick and choose which characteristic I'm going to
0: use. I got gotcha. you. With
1: cladistic, for example, cladistics now is a it's a system that they use evolution um, evolutionists that use to kind of put those things and um, uh, run some tests and all those type of things. So it's interesting because I think it was 2019 they did one where they put uh, Archaeopteryx as a bird. 2020 it went back to be a, a dinosaur. So you know, like just a couple couple months it wasn't even the whole year. It was just like from one thing to the other (laughs) so i mean uh we have to go back and and see things in in god's perspective you know and even when because my two points that i would like to bring up here is the history and why and also the definitions because the definitions were changed by excuse me evolutionary um scientists because the influence of evolution so for example Aves, uh, which comes from Latin, which is what means bird. Aves doesn't mean bird anymore. Since 1986, ave, it's not bird. So um, actually, aves has around four to six different definitions. Depending on the group that it's studying, the group that is writing a paper, the group that it's doing research, you're going to have different definition of the word aves. For example, the word feather when i talk to you about feather and you talk to me about feather we can kind of understand like okay what a feather is but no now we have to define what a feather is because it has the definition of the word feather has been changed also because the influence of evolutionary idea so what they think is a feather is not a feather like we all understand what a feather is a feather is that complex and all the the structure the branching uh structure of a feather plus everything that came before a feather so for example a filament a filament is now defined as a feather because that's inside of the evolutionary ideas so the the word apes was changed the word bird was changed the word feather was changed and the word dinosaur dinosaur was changed because now if you go and check what a dinosaur is you're gonna see um characteristics of bird inside of the definition of a dinosaur but why in 1881 uh the word theropod the word theropod was defined and what was defined it was just like hey it's just dinosaurs carnivore dinosaurs from triassic to cretaceous that's it this is 1881 1986, over 100 years, someone says, like, hey, no, the word theropod means birds and dinosaurs together. So nothing changed, okay? Nothing changed. The data is the same, but the influence of evolutionary ideas changed the definition.
0: Right. So
1: now someone can find something that looked like a bird with feathers and everything and call a theropod because they're all together in the same group but why they're in the same group because they believe that dinosaurs and birds they they have a relationship they they there's some relationship between birds and dinosaurs so let's put them together in the same group so sometimes when we're talking especially and we're talking with evolutionist scientists we have to say like okay what is your definition of feather Okay, what is the definition of bird? What is the definition of apes? What is the definition of dinosaur? What is the definition of a theropod? Because sometimes we can be just like talking about theropod, but he's thinking about theropod, dinosaurs, and birds together. And I'm just thinking about the first definition of uh, 1881 that is just dinosaurs. So we have to have those ideas in our mind because when we're reading, we don't know. If we don't go back to the history and understand that those definitions change, we go back and we see them read and it's like, oh, they're talking about the same thing that I'm thinking, but they're not talking about the same thing that we're thinking. It's totally different. So, you know, the whole definition of the words changed, especially uh, after 1986 uh, with the influence of evolutionary ideas. Um, And now we're just talking about... We're using the same word, but talking about things that are totally very, very different.
0: So that's interesting. The evidence did not change for dinosaur to bird evolution. No. The definitions of words are what changed to help promote dinosaur to bird evolution.
1: Yes. Yes, sir.
0: Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Wow.
1: And um, when you go back and you see and you read, sometimes when I'm reading things, I'm just like... Is my, is my English working now or it's messing up with my Portuguese? But I, I have some things here um, in a book that talks about it, and I, I just would like to read if that's OK. Yeah, um, please. It's a secular book, uh, and it says most of these filamentals, integumental structures have been identified as early feathers. So when they find the filament, they're just like, hey, this is an early feather, it's a feather no problem at all so they're calling feather just a filament which in many cases have been just like being fiber or sometimes uh, they say well they found melanosome in those things no because melanosome we have to go to be very very careful when we're studying those things first because the shape of melanosomes that they use for coloring some of those dinosaurs you know pterosaurs the shape of those melanosomes, they are influenced by temperature and pressure. So when you have the fossil, you have the temperature and pressure right there. So the shape of those those melanosomes is gonna be different. It's not how it was originally. It could be how it was originally, but we don't know how to, because if a lot of pressure or temperature change there sometime somehow, it's gonna be different. But then they say, well, but, more about melanosome is there's a technique it's called T-E-M, TEM, um, that you can go and check if it's actually a melanosome or bacterial activity. And most of the papers that talk about melanosomes, most of the papers, they haven't not done the T-E-M. So they're seeing melanosome, but there are also some other evidence that could just be a bacterial activity because the shape, the distribution, the way that the morphology, the way that they um, uh, behave, it's really close, it's really similar to what we can see as melanosome. But there's a technique to find out, but they don't use it.
0: Interesting. So, so it that, could be it, what they're seeing could literally be something bacteria, mm-hmm. and they're not doing the check on that because they kind of want it to be melanosome. Well, proto feathers yes the beginning of feathers
1: yes yes so so those are the things i mean it could be melanosome because of course we have a lot of really good preserved uh material but we have to check you know even like i want i want them to be melanosome because that means it's like hey really good preservation so it hasn't been there for millions of years yeah but i cannot just push that i have to be okay let's go and let's check and i haven't for example um some of the things that we see in papers is just like okay so why did don't do that you know why don't go ahead and and do some research on this no they don't why because they want it to be melanosome they want it to be but someone that it's a big a big name in that area did a research on that and mcnamara her name and she and they found out that pressure and temperature changed the shape so you cannot really tell the color. Of dinosaurs or pterosaurs it just it's just hard to do um something like that and in some other cases just fibers you know uh so the point is if if you define a feather as a filament you're gonna see feather everywhere
0: everywhere yes
1: yes if you don't if you don't if you go back to the first definition of a feather. No, you're not gonna find feather in those dinosaurs. And some other thing that I would like also to point out here
0: well, before you do, before you point it out, I've got to let social media go, guys. I'm so sorry to our YouTube and our Facebook audience out there, as well as to our podcast listeners and our television audience. I would love for you to hear the rest of this because I want to. I want to ask Dr. Gabriela about the the. Some of you will remember when Scientific American came out and they had this big old feathered dinosaur on the cover, and they're like, "Oh my goodness, we've got the fossils from China. They prove the dinosaur to bird evolution." And then later we found out something tragic about these supposed feathered dinosaurs. I'm gonna let her talk about that. Uh, But we're gonna do that in this next hour. If you wanna join in this next half hour, if you wanna join us, come on over to creationtoday.org partner. We'd love for you to hear the rest of this conversation along with all the other conversations we have consistently that are helping us understand the truth. Because if dinosaurs did not have feathers or if, if these things, these filaments are just filaments and they're not, you know, the beginning of feathers, if words are all, and the definitions of words are the only evidence they really have, they don't have a lot of evidence for dinosaur-to-bird evolution. So I wanna get into that more. Let me encourage you go to Answers in Genesis and type in Dr. Gabrielle's name in the search and you'll see her article, it's on the screen now, you'll see her article come up and check out her article where she actually does this research. While you're there, make sure you subscribe to get Answers in Genesis's newsletter. It's a free email that they send out, would love for you to get that. They also have a powerful magazine you may be interested in as well. Um, that is that the best way to read your stuff? Dr. Gabrielle is right there on Answers in Genesis.
1: Yeah, I have other uh, papers, too, on this topic, and, uh, of course, I'm going to keep writing about it, so more papers are coming.
0: Awesome. Oh, man. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week. We're right here live at noon uh, each Wednesday, so I can't wait to see you next week for another powerful conversation. In the meantime, come on over to partner. We'll see you on the other side.